May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. My memories of the six years that I served as the vicar of the Episcopal Church of the Ascension in North St. Louis County are many and truly cherished. The faithfulness of a congregation struggling to survive, but rich in ministry. A parish with little money, but generous in spirit. And a tightly knit community, but equally gracious in its welcome to strangers. However, there is nothing that I treasure more than the people themselves. And this morning, my memory is drawn to one in particular. For many years, Celestine had led our altar guild and directed Ascension Sunday School. She was the first to greet me on Sunday mornings, always with a welcoming smile and asking me how my family was. She sat in the same place every week. Second pew, next to the aisle, directly in front of the pulpit. And given that physical proximity, it was Celestine's eyes and facial expressions that I could regularly count on to give me my first indication of whether the sermon was connecting or simply drifting off into some theological abstraction. <laughs> now, following worship on a crisp March morning, I was preparing to visit her at an extended care facility on Grand Boulevard. You see, Celestine was recovering from surgery to repair a fractured hip and shoulder, the result of a fall in her home. She was a young 70, seemingly in good health and razor-sharp each of the times we visited together in her hospital room. She was optimistic and had just begun her rehabilitation. And although we had talked on the telephone the week before, I'd been unable to visit her, not wanting to risk to share a monstrous head cold uh, that had me zapped of all my strength. By this Sunday, however, my cold had dissipated. It was a beautiful early spring day, and I was so looking forward to a leisurely chat with Celestine. I bounced into her room, a get-well card from the congregation in one hand and a communion kit in the other, and was stopped in my tracks. The blood drained from my face. My eyes popped. My jaw dropped. Lying silently, Motionlessly in bed was a body I could barely recognize. She was emaciated, her breathing was shallow, and her expression vacant. As I tried to gather myself, I paused to take in this ghastly scene, compose a prayer I had not expected to share and placed the card gently under her hand, hoping that she might still know the affection of a congregation that so loved her. But as I left her room, I knew she would not. Later that evening, I learned from her children that Celestine had been diagnosed with terminal breast cancer months earlier and had only shared it with them, her own children, moments before I arrived. 
She had shared it with no one else. Sadly, she died the following morning. And all who so loved her grieved that we had not been able to accompany her on these final days of her journey from our hands to God's. As you and I heard just a few moments ago, Jesus finds himself in the midst of a similar loss and remarkably similar circumstances in this morning's gospel. As we know from the lessons of the past several weeks, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling throughout the countryside, preaching, teaching, working remarkable signs and wonders. Unexpectedly, he learns that a dear friend, Lazarus, is seriously ill, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, urge him to come quickly. But for reasons that not only do not appear clear, but actually seem harsh and callous, Jesus declines, brushes off their request with the assertion that the illness is not as serious as the sisters think, and goes about his business for another two days. When Jesus and his disciples finally arrive in the village of Bethany, they learn that Lazarus has died. Now Martha is the first to greet him on the outskirts of the village and shares her belief that Lazarus will be raised from the dead on the last day. But we also certainly hear in her voice anguish as she asserts that Lazarus wouldn't have died had Jesus been there in the first place. But Jesus reassures Martha that those who believe in him will never die and then challenges her to have faith. As Jesus continues walking and finally arrives at the home of Mary and Martha, Mary shares the same pain. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Dear friends, that's the ultimate in Jewish guilt. <laughs> the friends from Jerusalem who had come to console her are even more pointed in their comments. Surely this Jesus, who gave sight to a blind man, could have saved the life of one of his beloved friends? Only then does Jesus seem to be phased. Only then does he seem to absorb the weight of the loss. And only then are we told that he was greatly disturbed and began to cry. Still shaken and grieving, Jesus proceeds to the cave in which Lazarus had been buried and asks that the stone which covered its opening be removed. Martha protests that the odor of death would be sickening. Jesus, however, is undeterred and reminds her of the glory she will witness because of her belief. Then, giving thanks to the Father who had already heard his prayers, Jesus summons Lazarus to come out. And he did. Truly, Lazarus was dead. But now, just as surely, Lazarus is alive. On this final Sunday of our Lenten journey, as we conclude with the confusion, betrayal, and death we will encounter during Holy Week, the retelling of Lazarus' death and resurrection is, I think, especially fitting. 
for Jesus and his disciples, for Martha and Mary, and even for their friends and mourners, it offers a preview of what is about to unfold in their own lives. You see, there soon will be another death. There will be tears and a sense of godly abandonment. There will be a tomb, a stone, and burial cloths. And there will be a call to the belief that even in death, God will be revealed in his glory. Our own experiences with the loss of those we love, as well as the narrative recounted in John's Gospel, remind us of the reality and pain of death. So too do they leave us with more questions than answers. Why does love nourished for so many years end in tears? Would the outcome have been different if only we could have been there? And why? Why in the depths of our prayers for God's healing grace, for the preservation of life, for an extension to a loved one's length of years, does Jesus' presence so often seem remote or delayed? Those were Martha and Mary's questions. And to be sure, they're ours as well. Temptation is almost overwhelming. Right now to transition to the end of the narrative, Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. Certainly it's the climax of the story and rightfully brought both joy and amazement to everyone who witnessed it. But while a fitting conclusion, it itself is not the story. Not the story for the disciples, not the story for Mary and Martha, and not the story for us on this final Sunday of Lent. Carefully woven throughout the narrative are calls for in the acknowledgement of belief. Belief that God will be glorified through Lazarus' fatal illness. Belief that Jesus' absence from the bedside was intentional, expected to confirm a faith grounded in his relationship with the Father. And belief that Lazarus, Lazarus would be raised from the dead. It is therefore, I think, especially important to note that this morning's lesson truly ends not with Lazarus emerging alive from the tomb, Fantastic though that is, but rather with the poignant observation that those who witnessed it believed. As an abstract reminder of the fundamental significance of faith, this summons to belief is neither unfamiliar nor distinctively challenging. In fact, we heard it expressed in Martha, who readily affirmed that, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. No doubt her faith in a distant, future, ethereal resurrection was firm. But also was the same Martha who moments later protested at Lazarus' tomb, questioning Jesus' ability to raise the corpse of her brother, who already had been dead for four days. Clearly, Martha struggled with the faith now being tested in the context of her own life in the experience of her own loss, in the immediacy 
of her brother's death. But truly, Martha is not alone in her confusion. We too have shared in her faith. We too have shared in her hope. And truly, we too have shared in her doubt. The particularity of death, especially in the loss of those we hold most dearly, brings the abstraction of our faith into clear and painful focus. Yet even as our hearts ache, we're simply asked to believe. In the days ahead, as our Lenten journey with Jesus continues to the cross on which he will die, the abstractions of our faith will again be challenged. We'll be stunned by how quickly the triumph of Palm Sunday will turn into the tragedy of Good Friday. We'll cry out for Jesus' rescue from the suffering of crucifixion and weep as a stone seals his tomb. And like the disciples, we'll doubt. But in the midst of our pain and confusion, it is this same Jesus who invites us even today to remember his steadfast promise to Martha. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. May this be our prayer for the remainder of this journey. Lord, I believe. Lord, Help my unbelief.